for being with us here this evening uh, to talk about the cross and uh, the, the most horrible day in all of history, but also the most victorious, triumphant day in all of history. Um, I was just thinking as I kind of looked across the room, uh, there's, there's just hundreds of people in here who have come in contact with the cross in some way or another. Um, and, and not only is this a good Friday, this has been a great week for me. Um, as, as, I've, I've, as I've looked at the cross and studied it, I mean, it's been good for my soul. Um, just to, to see what our Lord accomplishes. Um, today we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 27. So if you turn, <coughs> turn there with me, uh, we'll start in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? <clears throat> and he said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief of priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, we're going to be jumping around all chapter 27. And we're going to look at the truth that Jesus proclaimed that he was king. Okay, this is the, the astonishing claim that he made that, that was the end of him. This was the reason why they crucified him. And we're going to look at the claim that Jesus made, and then we're going to look at how people responded to that claim. So we're going to look at how um, the, the religious people responded to that claim. We're going to look at how the Roman soldiers responded to that claim. And then just people who were walking by the cross responded to Jesus' claim of kingship. And then um, the most important question for, for you and I and, and all of our eternity we're going to look at is what should we do with Jesus' claim to kingship? What should we do in response to his claim to being a king? So that's where we're going to start, and I'm going to pray, and then we will start in verse 24. Dear Heavenly Father God, um, I just pray that you'd be with us right now. Uh, the cross is such a serious thing, and it's such an amazing thing. And it's such a wonderful thing, God. And I, I just pray that you, you help me to, to do this justice, to talk about your son, God, your son. And now he was crushed for us. God, give me strength to do this well. And thank you, thank you for your sacrifice. Starting verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took the water and he washed it of his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released them for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and they put on him a scarlet robe, and twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail to the king of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put on his own clothes, and led him away to crucify him. So the first people we're going to look at is we're going to look at the Roman soldiers, all right? Jesus has this, this great claim to kingship, 
And um, he's already been scourged. We're We're in verse 27. He's already been beaten. He's already been abused by these men. He's already been torn up. He's already been whipped. And he, he's brought in between, into the officials' um, courts. And he's already a bloody mess. And he's already uh, in, in the most, I can't even imagine the pain that his body's in right now. And then they go on to move from this physical pain that they've caused him to start to torture him with mental abuse. And they start to uh, hurl insults at him and try to shame him. And this is all mocking his claim to kingship. So the first thing they do is they gather around and they, they say, well, oh, there's a king in our presence. Guys, there's a king. You know, they're, they're building it up. And they say, well, get him a robe. What is a king without his robe? And they put a robe around him. And then another guy says, hey, where's his crown? You know, you can't, you can't be a king without a crown. And they twist together a crown of thorns and they push it onto his head. And then they say, where's his royal scepter, where he's going to make his decree, and where he's going he's to rule with the mighty hand, and they stick a reed into his hand. And then all of them gather around him. They all gather around him, and they bow down on the ground in, in intentional mockery. They say, hail the king of the Jews, hail the king of the Jews, hail the king of the Jews. And then they spit on him. They spit on him, they take his scepter from him, and they hit him in the head. It's, and, they, and they rip his, his robe off him as to say, you're not a king. Look how easily I can take your, your power and your authority from you. You're nothing. I'm doing this, and, and, I, and we're in control of the situation. If you're a king, your army would swoop down and save you. They laugh and mock at the very idea that this man could be a king. And they put him back in his blood-soaked clothes, and they say, here are your clothes. The clothes of a homeless man, a guilty homeless man who deserves to die on the cross. And then they headed to Golgotha. Pick up in verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place of Golgotha, which means the place of skull, they offered him wine to drink and they mixed it with gold. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down to keep watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief of priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he can't even save himself. He is the king of Israel. Well, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires for him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in this way. So now we're going to switch to looking at this this complete humiliation of Jesus. So if the, if the scourging and, and the whipping was intended to completely uh, lay waste to Jesus physically and in the mockery was, it was used to shame him, then the crucifixion was both of them combined at once. It was more pain and it was more mockery. All at the same time to his complete, complete destruction. They wanted his last breath to be one of pain and shame. That was the point of the cross. It wasn't enough for, for him to be in the most 
unimaginable pain possible, but they wanted everyone to see it and it be on full display. So they take Jesus up a hill where he's going to be a plain sight and they go to crucify him. Not only would his pain continue from the wounds that he already has, but then they, they drive nails into his hands, into his feet, and they pin him to the cross. And then they, his body just hangs from those three points, all the weight of his body. The mockery continues as they laugh at the claim that this man could be a king, this man that's hanging on the cross. They put a sign above him in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin that says, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And they did it in all three languages so that anybody passing by could read it and mock with them and know why he was hanging up there, know what his crime was. They also crucified him between two criminals, just as a reminder that, hey, this guy says he's king, but look, he's in the same place as these sinners who deserve death. This guy's no king. Now let's shift to looking at the bystanders and religious leaders and their response to Jesus' claim. The people who walked by taunted him, and they said, hey, isn't this the guy that said he was going to rebuild the temple in three days? He made this outrageous claim. If this is you, why don't you just come down from here? If you're going to do that amazing of a feat, then why don't you just come down from the cross? And the religious leaders, they were even worse. They said, you're no king. If you were a king, you could save yourself. They said, if God loves you, he would save you because you said you were God's son. They said, you, you saved other people. We watched you. We watched you do your ministry and heal people and do this, that, and the other. But if you were a really real king, you could save yourself, not just help out other people. This topic of Jesus' kingship appears again and again and again in our passage. It's the first question that Pilate, Pilate asked to Jesus. It's the very question that's on the lips of the, the Roman soldiers as they mock him and as they spit on him and as they beat him. And it's the very idea that the religious leaders intentionally scoff at as he hangs on the cross. These weren't just hateful jabs at Jesus, and, and they, weren't just, uh, they weren't just done to add to his shame. These actions and questions were, were attempts to belittle his entire ministry. They, they were attempts to just say, this man cannot be the son of God. They were trying to squash Jesus' following. The religious leader was saying, well, well, he might have done some awesome things. He is no king. He's not God. And how could he be the Messiah? How could he be the savior of all men when he can't even save him, his own self? That's the point they were trying to make. The purpose of the cross wasn't just to put an end to his life, but to put an end to his following and to those who worshiped him as king. I got good news, it didn't work. That's one thing I'm really excited about, just looking across this room. And again they shouted, you can't save yourself. But little did they know that he had no intention to save himself, but to save us. In verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling out Elijah. And one of them ran at once and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine. And he put it on the reed and he gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. 
The tombs were also open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this is the Son of God. So what took place on the cross? Uh, We have darkness that covers the earth for three hours. As Jesus hangs there, blood-soaked, beaten, bruised, in complete and total anguish. Um, not, only, not only from you know, the, the beatings and the mockery and just stuff that, that we can't even fathom, but also from the weight of our sin. You're in my sin. Um, and I, I was trying to think about this. We, we can't even grasp that. I, I hate sin that's in me. I, I get disgusted by my sin, and I want it gone. And I'm a sinful man who naturally loves sin. And this was the Son of God who, who had never, like, he, he abhors sin. He hates sin with such a, a hatred that we can't even fathom it. And it was, all of it was put into his body. I can't even imagine that. I can't even fathom the pain, the pain that he was in, just in bearing yours and my sin. I can't even imagine it. And if the baptism of Jesus marks God's approval on his son where he says, this is my boy, where I'm really proud of my son. Look at what he's doing. Then this would, this would just add to the pain of his abandonment when for the first time his father didn't answer him. His dad didn't answer him back. And while we may have a faint concept of what it's like to, to be in pain or a faint concept of what it's like to be made fun of or mocked, we have no idea what it's like to be holy and righteous and then have your connection with God severed. We've never had that happen. The words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are spoken in this pain, unimaginable pain. Yet Hebrews 12, 2 says this. It says, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. It was for the joy set before him. What, what could that joy be? What possible joy could that be in such pain? Charles Spurgeon writes this. That why in the question, why have you forsaken me, is the silver lining of the dark cloud. And our Lord looked wishfully at it. He knew that the desertion was needful in order that he might save the guilty. And he, might, and he had an eye to that salvation. It was his comfort. He was not forsaken needlessly, nor without a worthy design. Jesus, the why, the why fueled him. The why was for, it was for you and me, and it was a hope to, to bring us back to God. That's why, he, he, that's how he endured the pain of the cross. He asked that question, and he knew the answer. And although there was silence, he knew it in his heart. On the cross, Jesus positionally switched places with you and me. He switched places with the sinner, with the condemned, with the wicked. He took our place, and he gave us his freedom. We were guilty, stained, wicked man, and he was the innocent child of God, and he swapped places with us. And that was his joy, knowing that through faith in him and confidence in his work on the cross, that we could have righteousness. That's what his joy was. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, holy, righteous, perfect Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the sinless, perfect King Jesus He took all of my sin, every nasty, wicked, lustful, perverted, greedy, evil thing I've ever done. He put it in his own body, 
And he bore that. And he took your sins as well. He took the world's sin. He took all of our condemnation and he gave us his righteousness. Jesus had one more thing to say as he died. In verse 50, it tells us that he cried out with a loud voice. And the Gospel of John tells us what he cried out. In verse, or chapter 19, verse 30, it says he cried out, it is finished. This wasn't a cry of defeat, and it wasn't a, a cry of, of, of relief. It was a cry of victory. Victory over our sins. Words that all men from the beginning of time had craved to hear. Ever since sin had entered the world and we had been damned to separation from God, we had just been waiting and waiting and waiting to hear it is finished, that the work of salvation was complete. This is Jesus' proclamation that he has taken care of, of the wrath of God that I deserved. And not only was it a cry of victory then, it's his cry of victory now to those who haven't accepted that. That, hey, it's taken care of. Christ has taken care of your sins. He's destroyed them. He's put death to him. You can't do it. You need him. And then Jesus gave up his spirit. And I love how that's written, that Jesus gave up his spirit. He was the one who has said it's finished, and he's also the one who chose when he died. He willingly laid down his life. And the last person I want to look at is the centurion. In verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake, and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the Son of God. So a Roman commander who was with the men when they beat Jesus, maybe even was part of it, was with the men when they mocked Jesus and spit on him and mocked him and, and just made, made, complete, it made him out to be a complete fool. The man who was with them when they, when they led him to the cross and was, was with him, and they, they stuck him in between two criminals, if, if just to say, this is, he's just like these men. He's a worthless guy that needs to die. And the same guy who hung the sign on, up that said, Jesus is king of the Jews in mockery. Look at what he says now after these amazing signs. The earth trembled, the rocks split in two, tombs break open, saints of old are raised. The centurion sees all this, and he only has one thing that he can say. Truly, this was the Son of God. As all this happened, the curtain in the temple was ripped in two. This thing was a, a sure fixed barrier between wicked man and holy God. And it shows us that through Jesus, that barrier has been ripped in half. And, and wicked man can have access to God through what Christ did on the cross and giving us his righteousness. And I love the centurion's response because it shows us that when we truly get the cross and we truly see what Jesus went through and we truly see how he atoned for our sin, we can't help but come to one conclusion, that he is the son of God. That's the only conclusion there is for us. At first when I read this passage and all that took place on that day, I was, I was filled with anger and a bit of sorrow, just looking at how he was treated and the way that the, the, the guards spit on him. And I thought, there has never been such a day of injustice as that day. Such innocent of a man, not even nowhere near guilty and put through that kind of stuff. But then I also delighted that there's never been so much of a necessary day that justice was served in on that same day. Because the great work of the cross is that our king switches places with us. He gives us his innocence. 
He takes our justice. He takes my wrath. He takes my condemnation. And he allows me to have access to the Father. What an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. That's Jesus' final words in this testimony. He said, it is finished. It's done. Nothing else mattered. The, the, the guards that mocked him and, and bowed down and said, hell, the king of the Jews, although they meant that for hateful derision, it was nothing but an unintentional testimony to who Jesus was. And the signs that were on the cross that said, hell, the king of the Jews, it was meant to show the crime that he was guilty of, but instead, it was the truth of his royalty. Three times, Jesus is king, Jesus is king, Jesus is king. And the wicked religious, religious leaders who aimed to destroy Jesus' ministry were only a pawn in God's plan of redemption. And that's why it's a good Friday. Because on that day, when such tragedy and horrific things happened, God reconciled us to himself through his son. What started out is a day intended to show Jesus is foolish man on the cross in hopeless situation ended up as the only day of hope for us throughout all of history. That's all we can look to is what he does on the cross. That's it. There's nothing else. And we all have to respond to, to Jesus' declaration of being king. We can respond like, like Pilate. Who, who just tried to wash his hands of the matter and say, I, I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not going to be the deciding factor of this. Some of us respond by mocking Jesus and saying, man, it's foolish to think that a peasant thousands of years ago could have been a king. And some of us have a tendency to, to be like the religious leaders who, who say, I don't need a king. I can do this by myself. I've got this covered. That's, that's what we all walk towards, but what, what should we do when we hear Jesus is king? Well, we should be in awe like the centurion, and we should marvel and worship. We should think it strange that a royal king would come to save a wicked servant like us. And when we really see what he did like he did on the cross, we should leave and just have those words on our mouth. Jesus is the son of God. That's the message we should take to the world because it's the only hope for the world. That's what we have to do. God initiates through the work of the cross. He, he initiates with us all. He offers us this salvation. And all we need to do is have confidence that it is finished. And he's the one who had victory. And he did it for us. And he offers us this salvation. And that we can just turn to him in that faith and that confidence and say, I trust you, Jesus. You can be my king. And I'll worship you. I'll bow down to you. And then we turn from our sin and say, I don't, I don't want to add any more to your grief. And I want you to take that away from me and change my heart and make me a new man. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the cross. Our only hope, our only hope. Thank you for the victory you have on it. Thank you that on the worst day of all of history, God, the, the most tragic and painstaking day that anyone has ever suffered, you accomplish victory. You accomplish victory for us over sin. And there's no other answer but your work of you, on, of you on the cross, God. And we thank you for that and we praise you for that. In your name I pray. Amen.